Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. Our co-host for today, uh, Mike Parkinson, is uh, an internationally recognized visual communications expert. He's also an APMP fellow, which he'll explain. Um, he's the principal at 24-Hour Company and has spearheaded multi-billion dollar projects across a wide range of, um, of experiences. Um, and the, the thing that I'm most excited about today is to uh, have him share uh, and school us all on the power of communicating through, uh, through visual communications. And it's ironic because we're, uh, we're using video, we are speaking a lot of words, and uh, Mike's going to show us some things. But before we get into that, Mike, why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself so that everybody knows who you are. Uh, I'm Mike Parkinson. I'm a total geek for this stuff. And I promise that the things I share with you today, if you don't already know them, will change how you do business. All right. So that's what we're going to, we'll, we'll rate you at the end. Um, so with that in mind, Mike, why don't you just tell us a little bit about like what you do day to day? Like what's your, what's your job? How do you help companies? What's your, your clients? Just give us a, because you're an, you're an entrepreneur in your own right. So talk a little bit about that and, and what your business is, what 24-Hour Company does, and uh, tell us a little bit more about, about what you do as a day job. Cool. Uh, yeah, 24-Hour Company is a creative services firm. Uh, it was founded almost 30 years ago. And what it does is uh, it helps companies uh, make their messaging, make their content, make their presentations, make their proposals, make their uh, sales pitches more compelling and visuals play a major role in that, but there's more to it than just visuals. And then I actually own another company because apparently I have something wrong with me. I like crack cocaine or something. But um, I have a company called Billion Dollar Graphics and that creates products to help people do it themselves. So not everybody's gonna hire a creative services firm. There's micro companies, there's sole proprietorships. And so I create tools to help them do what I do for these other big companies. And you've got companies like Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, Dell, FedEx, they come to us and then they say, help us create this uh, proposal to the federal government, for example, on how to win this $6 billion procurement or $500 million effort. That's the type of things that 24-Hour Company does. Do you have some example uh, projects that you can share, things that you've worked on? Ooh, um, uh, yes, if you, if, in our area, because we're mostly focused on the federal government because of where we live in Washington, D.C. area. So just about every major uh, proposal that has ever come out, any major initiative that the federal government has done, we've touched. So uh, the Joint Strike Fighter, um, we're talking about um, uh, the uh, Affordable Health Care Act, that website, when they redid it, when they fixed it, that was part of our, uh, we were involved with that. The CDC's response to things, they involve us too. So a lot of, if a federal contractor is involved in it, They'll often, if it's a big effort, they'll come to us and we'll aid and we'll assist them in communicating really complex stuff so that it's simple and easy to understand. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about what, what being an APMP fellow is. What does APMP stand for and, and what's it about? 
Uh, APMP is the Association for Proposal Management Professionals, also a tongue twister. And what it means is basically if you do sales documents, uh, there's a professional organization for you. So if you're doing proposals for procurement, if a, if a customer, a bank puts out an RFP, a request for proposal, people respond formally to that proposal. And that is what APMP teaches best practices for that. Got it. And how about being a Microsoft MVP? What's that all about? Microsoft MVP basically means you're the biggest dork anybody's ever met when it comes to something. I was not a Microsoft fan, uh, and yet I knew I lived in a Microsoft world. I usually use the Adobe suite for what I do. However, my clients don't. So I learned to adopt Microsoft as a tool of choice and figured out how to make it do things that people didn't think it could do. And uh, because I'm not a jerk face, Microsoft said, hey, we'd like you to kind of be a, a, a champion for this stuff. And so they invited me and uh, 35 other people around the world to be Microsoft uh, PowerPoint MVPs. So we get to see behind the curtain. We get to see what's coming uh, with Microsoft. We get to, we have the privilege and the honor of shaping what comes next as, as well. Oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe we'll get some stories out of you of uh, things that have gone <laughs> that have gone well and things that have gone poorly or more challengingly. Um, so with that, you talk about, well, you've written a bunch of books about graphics and visual design. Um, can you just talk a little bit about how you see the power of that, of that visual design in communicating ideas and, um, and what, the, what you see the big differences are? And then we're going to dig in. I think you're going to share some of the mistakes that people make, and then maybe you'll share some examples for us. Absolutely. Uh, the, the biggest thing that uh, epiphany for most people is that, um, and, and some of you may know this already, we live in an at-a-glance society. People no longer request that their information be clear and succinct. They require it. And think about this. When you go to a website and you don't find what you're looking for within a few seconds, how long do you stay after that? you go to another website and look for it. The, uh, we expect information to be efficiently communicated. In fact, um, if someone says they're an expert at something, the proof will be in their ability to communicate efficiently. I think Einstein said, um, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Very true. So if for any reason you're getting confused by something I'm saying, don't, let me know so that I can get better and better and better at communicating it. So living in an at-a-glance society, there's something that I'm going to talk about in a minute, depending upon what Scott asks, um, to help us navigate this world where your audience, be it a sales prospect, um, someone that you're trying to educate, or uh, somebody that you're trying to share information with. I'm trying to make my camera less blurry. I don't know why I got blurry. Uh, whoever your audience is, uh, communicating efficiently, effectively, clear, succinctly is critical now more than ever. And it's going to get more so. It's, things aren't going to get longer and they're going to expect larger, larger volumes of content. They're going to expect shorter and shorter amounts. And so visual, a visual is a very efficient way of communicating a lot of information very quickly. You've heard a picture's worth a thousand words and all those other things. The point is, is when done correctly, you can replace large quantities of explanation with a visual. 
Do you have to be able to describe the large amount of information in order to create a visual that covers all the details? Like how do you balance, let's say the actual complexity with driving towards simplicity and a, and a visual, you know, a visual representation of it? Well, there is, yes, you do know, you need to know what you're talking about before you can talk about it. Really smart people already know this stuff and they figured out ways to communicate it efficiently. So their time is no longer spent learning this stuff. Their time is spent learning or figuring out the best, most efficient way to communicate it. So yes, we do know, to, we do need to know what we're talking about. However, there's a, there's a technique that is very effective at taking large quantities of text and consolidating it down into something that people understand. And that technique is to have what I would call an action caption or a title or a takeaway, a headline, and it must include two parts. It must include M&M, a motivator and a means. So what you're trying to do is summarize all that content down into one sentence that's broken into two parts, motivator and means. For example, if my goal was to get Mark, hey Mark, how you doing brother? Mark, I want, I want you to give me a high five. So there could be a whole lot of text that goes into that. Or I could just say, I'll give you $100 if you give me a high five. Motivator means. Yep, exactly. So if we, take, if we start with take all our information and summarize and consolidate it down into one action caption, into one motivator and means-based message, then all the other content will feed up into that and start to make sense. We'll contextualize all that complex stuff. Hopefully that made sense. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it, it does from a headline standpoint, but and then do you, are you building the rest of the visuals around it, the richness of it? An example of $100 and a high five is straightforward, but yep. you talked about you know, communicating a, you know, why a fighter jet has capabilities that you want or need. Exactly. Um, and how do, you, how, do you go, how do you build on top of the, that, that first thought? So if, the, if you were talking about a fighter jet, I would say uh, uh, save money and save lives with our new fighter jet. Motivator and means, save money, save lives. Then the graphic needs to prove that. So then you show the fighter jet and you start, you start pointing to the things on the jet that lowers cost and saves lives. Does that make sense? That message becomes the, uh, the thing that you have to prove. So the only content that goes into your complex graphic is just validating, providing demonstrative evidence of what you stated. So that becomes the adjudicator for additional content. So now, because you've contextualized your graphic, it doesn't seem so complex at all. Got it. And so the, you're, you're as you said, use the word adjudicating, you're testing basically each element that you're putting on the page. Does it support and create evidence for and backing for that headline or does it or does it not? If it doesn't, throw it overboard. Yep, get rid of it. If it's, if, it, if it's dancing baloney, if it's flute music, we were founded in 1969, I don't give a crap. That doesn't impact that you can save lives and save money with our new uh, jet. If it isn't germane to that point, chuck it. So there is, there is some work to be done ahead of time in thinking about what that headline is, right? Defining it clearly and, and sticking to it. And presumably, that applies to 
each slide in a presentation. So what's the, what's the big mistake that the typical business leaders make when we are communicating with our key constituencies like investors or customers or employees? Humor me if you will. I'm going to share a few slides because I think this will help solidify everything. At any point in time, Scott, just interrupt me and say, hey, Mike, and I'll turn it off. All right. So let me share my screen. Go here, share. And if you have any trouble seeing my screen, just let me know. In order for me to explain this, I'm going to give you the foundation. This changed my life. I went from a guy who was making about $100 uh, speaking at conferences to making $10,000 an hour. So this stuff works. And I'm not just using that to say, oh, I'll make more money. What I'm saying is people found more value in what I had to say because I did what I'm about ready to share with you. There's two parts of the human brain. There's the emotional part and the analytical part. So it's the, it's the unconscious part and the dorky part. There was a guy uh, named uh, John Haight. And John Haight said that uh, the, the, he wrote a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And he said the emotional part of the brain uh, has about 1 million thoughts for every, for every single thought that the conscious brain or the analytical brain has. It's kind of like an elephant, the emotional part of the brain, and a rider. So the elephant wants to do what the elephant wants to do, but the rider, their job is to keep the elephant on, uh, on the right path. So the thing that people forget is that, and by the way, um, uh, the, emo the elephant isn't stupid. People think, well, the elephant's just emotion. No, 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 it's not stupid. The elephant thinks faster, way faster than the analytical part. For example, if I asked you, what's 672 times 487? It's hard, it takes a long time. That's the analytical part. But if I said, what's your favorite color? Does this taste good? That's the emotional part. The emotional part is learns from uh, life experience. So the secret, the secret to all successful communication is that we focus on the elephant first and the rider second because the elephant is always awake. The rider isn't. Have you ever been driving and thought, oh, poop, did I miss my exit? Where am I? That's because the elephant is driving your car. The elephant is like, um, the elephant is doing something that's life and death. So when it comes to normal decision-making, it's always the elephant first and the rider second. Um, I could go on, but I'm going to see if you have another question. I don't want to keep going on and on. That's helpful. Why don't you keep going? Okay. So one of the, um, the top things, the top two things uh, that, that, um, that people need to think about when they're creating any form of communication that's meant to persuade or motivate is that there are two gates. The first gate is the catalyst. The catalyst is do I do something? Because the elephant doesn't like change. The elephant doesn't dig on change at all. The elephant likes status quo. In order for something to change, there must be one of three things. There must be either pain. If there's no pain, no one's going to change. Keep this in mind. The pain of change, if the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same, people will not change. But if the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same, people will change. Have you ever... Have you ever stated a job that you hated? That's because the pain of change was, was, uh, was greater. But once you got fed up with that job, you said, I don't care if I'm living in a van down by the river eating cream corn. I am not staying at this job anymore. That's pain. Uh, commercials do it all the time. Commercials, infomercials are trying to get you to feel the pain. 
All right, let me close this out. Hold on. Uh-oh. Oh, here we go. You're still there, right? Oh, yeah. Kill beans. All right, so the next one is gain. What's in it for me? With them. What's it, what am I going to get out of this transaction that's going to help me? And the last thing is fear. The fear of loss is actually the most powerful motivator. I don't like using pain or fear because they're negative emotions, so I like to stick to gain, which is why when I said motivator and means, I'd said to Mark, I'll give you 100 bucks if you, if you give me a high five. That's gain. I could have said something like, uh, you might not be invited back to Founders Focus if you don't give me a high five. That would be fear or pain. And I don't like that, and it's heavy-handed. But fear is a powerful motivator. So if you have a recalcitrant audience, an audience that's very uh, entrenched in their belief system, think like politics, fear is probably going to be the only thing that motivates them. So once you decide, I got to do something. All right, if I do this, I'm going to get $100. Or if I do this, I'm going to get a fighter jet that's going to save me money and lower costs. So I've got to do something. This, this is my, our old jets are unacceptable. Then you have to choose which path forward. So the first gate is the catalyst, second gate's the choice. So there's only three factors that go into choosing a solution. So when someone's gonna buy from your company, there's only three factors that go into that. Number one is trust. Trust is the closest thing to a silver bullet in all forms of communication. If there is no trust from either side, then it doesn't matter what the other person says because trust is lost. They must trust that you are going to deliver on your promise. And facts begin to play a role in that, you know, past performance and things like that. Second, ego. Every decision we make, every freaking decision we make is tied to our ego. For example, Scott, why did you buy that shirt? Um, uh, let's see. Um, Leslie, why did you, uh, why are you sitting in that chair that I don't think, I think everybody can see. Julie, why do you have that sweatshirt on? Why do you have that hoodie on? There is a reason why we buy what we buy. Why do you buy Apple versus uh, Windows? Or why do you buy this versus that? Because it's, it's partly why, how we want the world to see us. So when someone makes a decision to buy from your organization, their reputation is woven into that. So if they make a bad decision, it makes them look bad. And that hurts their ego. The elephant doesn't like to have their ego hurt. And lastly is value. Value. Does it give me what I want, when I want? Uh, is it convenient? That's value. So I have a question for you, Scott. Looking. Oh, by the way, this is where differentiation or discrimination occurs. Differentiation. What does that mean? differentiate what you're saying you're offering from a competitor or another path forward. That means that you're showing something that's different, saying something, hey, by the way, if you buy us, uh, we're going to be slightly different. That's good. A discriminator is better. Discriminator is something that differentiates your offering, but the prospect or audience cares about it. So that's a discriminator versus a differentiator. And that would be done over here. So here's my question for you, Scott. Looking at pain, gain, fear, trust, and ego, is that the elephant, the emotional side of the brain, or is it the rider, the analytical side of the brain? Pain, gain, fear, trust, and ego. Are they elephant or rider? They're all elephant. Exactly. Remember what Values, I said. Value is the only one that's, that's analytical. 
Exactly. That's how human beings make decisions. This is Nobel Prize winning neuroscientists, um, uh, behavioral psychologists. They've all proven this over and over and over again. Uh, Dan Ariely's Predictably Irrational, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, um, uh, Chip and Dan Heath, Made to Stick. These books are bestsellers. All of them validate all of this with empirical research. Elephant first, rider second. So what I assume, but why don't you validate for me, what is the mistake that most business leaders make communicating to their audiences? They go rider first, elephant second. Or they mistake their hopes, fears, and biases with their audience's hopes, fears, and biases. Meaning most communication fails because it's created by the author for the author. We assume the audience is just like us. They're not. Yeah, it's one of the things that I, I spend a lot of time with founders on around, I spend time with founders making sure that, uh, that they've talked to enough customers early on to first to do the discovery work and then validate some of their own assumptions around it because otherwise you can get steered in the wrong direction so easily based, based on your own expectations. Yes, absolutely. Bad things happen when we ignore our audience's uh, hopes, fears, and biases. Well, why don't you take us through one more piece of the puzzle here, and then we'll take some questions from the audience. Sure, sure. One of the fastest ways to make, uh, I'm, I'm just going to pick on PowerPoint presentations because I'm giving one right now, and it's usually what is, uh, is given for businesses. So one of the really cool techniques is to uh, take an old icky slide. So this is an old icky slide. Uh, because we live in an at a glance society, people do judge a book by its cover. So if we say we have an innovative solution and our slides look like this, our documents look like this, it sure doesn't look and feel like an innovative solution. And it doesn't do a good job of engaging the elephant. So I'm going to take this poopy slide, and it's not horrible, but it looks like everything we've seen before. And I'm going to change it into the motivator and the means. And so I'll tell you the story. This is not the way to end the presentation. All presentations should begin with this. So instead of doing it this way, making this my summary slide, I'm going to make this my first slide. I'm going to say, hey, folks, I know that you want to save money, make things easier and faster. Well, our solution has eight ways of making that occur. The first one is that our solution is free to hotels. That's going to save you money. Number two, it's got a user-friendly, intuitive interface. That's going to make things easier and faster, and so forth and so on. So now this becomes my agenda. So now I don't save it for the end to say, oh, by the way, you'll save money and make things easier and faster. I start with the message. So the motivator is we're going to, we're going to save you money, make things easier and faster with our eight with these eight features. And then that becomes the agenda. So I'd say, hey, it's free to hotels. Let me talk to you about that. Well, the way we can make it free to hotels is we have a grant from an organization called Hain. We also have a work to learn curriculum and we have a loyalty program. That loyalty program helps us ensure that there's no cost to you. The next feature I wanna to talk to you about is our user-friendly intuitive interface. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at our interface, there are a few things, oh, it's hung up, Let's see, yep, there it goes. Uh, oh, are you guys seeing it okay? Yep, we're good. Okay, 
for whatever reason on my machine, it is not working. Hold on. There it is. Hold on. Do, 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 do this one more time. So on the, uh, on the feature, these are the features that make it easier. And these are the features that make it faster. It's also true on the mobile apps. So these are the features that make it easier. And these are the features that make it faster. So what I've done is I've taken that elephant first, rider second, action caption approach to creating my slide deck, created the very first slide that became a graphic. All I did was put my text inside a little shapes and it became a graphic. And then I started to tell the story of how they're going to get those benefits. Hopefully that resonates with you and each of you can use this to make amazing presentations, be it sales or training, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. I mean, just looking at it from, from my perspective, the, the storytelling around putting, um, I guess, put, putting the, the, the end in mind and focusing on the elephant, let's lead with that emotional, okay, I want, I want more. You've also unpacked this and organized it. it. It reminds me of an information architecture problem as much as anything else. Um, and you've also weighted the things that are more important, right? So I'm constantly reminded by save money easier, faster. If those are the things I care about, then I'm being reminded of them over and over and over again. But you haven't lost the analytical part. So a lot of these, a lot of the words that are there are still there. They provide the, the context for it. So um, it's, it's super, super helpful. Um, I'm going to turn to the audience here for a, for a moment. We've, we've had a few questions. Um, so I won't work through them in any particular order, but, um, when you, when you think about these are business presentations uh, that you've just walked through, how does it apply in a consumer context? Let's say in, you know, creating, um, you know, a Facebook ad or, or, um, or writing, uh, or crafting, a, an email communications, how does it apply in a, in a B2C uh, space? I, same thing. So essentially, I've got to give the audience a reason to care. I need to engage them, knowing that they're going to react to emotionally first. Some of the things that you would do is you would create your graphic, your visual, your ad, so that it uh, echoes what is popular for your demographic. So the last thing I want to do is to create something that looks like a business document for a Pandora ad. So I would make sure that my Pandora ad looks like something like I'd make in TikTok or would look like something I would make in, um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, what, what, Tinder or not Tinder. Oh God, no. But uh, Scott, somebody get, what's another one? What's another social media? I'm drawing a blank. Instagram. Thank you. Twitter. Yes. Any one of those. Yes, it's like I'm five. Sorry. So, uh, so essentially what we're doing is we're echoing something that they would create in there so that they see it as something they would make. They would make. One of the biggest uh, successful um, B2C techniques that's been used now is that people just, I don't have my phone with me, but people just start filming themselves on their phone giving their sales pitch because it's relatable for that demographic. It becomes more real. It doesn't seem over... Uh, over, um, over orchestrated, too much salesy activity. It becomes something like, oh, it's me talking to me. So we trust that which is familiar. Remember trust. We trust that which is familiar. So we want to echo our audience's 
um, styles and uh, predispositions back at themselves so that we build that instant um, elephant response of, oh, this is cool. This is like me. Same thing with the messaging as well. All right. So I'm going to turn it to our, to our live audience here. Um, and one, one person said, hi, do you ever work with, you know, bootstrapped startups? And um, David, if you are brave, you can give a 30 second pitch on what your messaging is tries to be. And we'll see if Mike can use a Jedi mind trick on all of us to tell us how he'd unpack that message. You want to go? Sure. All right. Here's so, the test. Visual. How would you unpack a visual communications? Go, David. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, so it's nothing like being on the spot, right? Um, so um, I have a health management companion. And that health management companion helps people with weight control as well as chronic disease master self-care. And it helps them live healthier lives. Um, and um, it does that by several means. It uses remote monitors to influence um, through data. It uses coaching. And really where we make an impact that I think is different is we personalize care to the individual. We look at where they are at and we provide coaching that meets them right where they are and everyone is different. And that's where I think the product um, is beginning to have real successes with our trial um, uh, uh, customer base. And you said uh, the three were remote, remote monitoring, coaching, and personalized care? Correct. So your uh, message, actually, go ahead. Uh, there's actually more to that, but I'll leave it at that for now. And that's fine. You can make it as you can make your uh, your your graphic as complex as you need to make it, as long as your message is clear and compelling, and your graphic is uh, chunking the information to fit within the buckets that you talked about. So there's many ways you could go at it, depending upon your demographic. I don't know your audience better than you do, so you would become my canary. You'd be the person that says, "No, sorry, I can't breathe. That's terrible, Mike." Or you would say, "Yes, that would resonate." Our goal is to get them to raise their eyebrows and say, hey, that sounds interesting. Tell me more, David. So for example, you would say, um, um, have a, uh, uh, do you want a healthier life or have a healthier life with, and then you would put in your solution. Uh, what did you call it? Health management companion? Is that Correct. what you said? Correct. With a health management companion. And someone would say, uh, what the hell is a health management companion? So you'd have to answer that question in your graphic. And then they would say, well, how in the hell is that going to help me get a healthier life? And you would answer with three things. This would be in the graphic. Three things. Mm -hmm. uh, remote monitoring, coaching, and personalized care. And then you'd explain each one of those and how they would make them healthier. And now you got your graphic. If, it's an ad, if that's an ad or an infographic or something like that, maybe in a PowerPoint presentation, be a vastly different story if you were doing a sales pitch for venture capital though. Got it. Different audience. They have different motivators. Is that helpful? That's right. Yep. Yep, very helpful, thank you. Yes. It seems, it might seem so simple uh, I get to go around the world and, and help companies do this stuff. And it seems so simple when I say it, partly because I've been doing it for so long, but partly because I suspect that when you hear something that is the truth as you know it, 
it, it resonates. Like when I hear somebody say something, I'm like, oh, where's this been all my life? Duh. And it really is a duh thing. What I'm saying, I feel like it's a duh thing. And yet every time I go into organizations, uh, they don't do it. it. It's incredible. They don't do it. And uh, am I blurry? I think I'm blurry. I don't understand why uh, companies aren't doing it. I am really blurry. <laughs> I think one of the, one of the challenges is, is that we get caught up in our, you know, in our business and we know, we almost know too much. And so one of the big advantages, uh, if you can, is to find people, you know, one or two orbits outside your world that you can share ideas with, or, uh, or there's just time span or expertise between them um, to get feedback, to see if they understand it. They don't have to be your customer. They just have to decide whether they, does does this elicit some kind of, of a, as you put it, an, a kind of an elephant response of some kind? And, and are they able to, uh, to sort of give you that kind of reaction? And it's not, um, it's not easy. And it's amazing how we make the mistake again and again and again. And as I said earlier, it's really, if you have a 10 slide pitch, you know, each, each slide needs to be crafted in that way. And then they need to connect together. So if you were, I'm curious as to how you think about, you know, that opening slide that you showed and then you had, there were like eight little boxes around it that encapsulated the entire story, but that might just be explaining one part of the, the business or the product or whatever else you're doing. And then you get into, okay, well, what are the next steps or how do we do that? And is there, um, is it important to have continuity and consistency from, from, you know, one technique to the next? Um, can you mix them up? Yes, you would want to make sure that there's consistency within that, within that narrative. So if you're giving a presentation or a sales pitch, it all needs to hinge back on those key motivators. And you can have, by the way, the motivators, you can have up to three. So for example, if there's three, ben there's benefits, you can have up to three. After that, it's too many. You're going to save money, you're going to save time, and you're going to uh, make things easier. After that, it's just too many. So everything needs to tie back to those. And that same approach uh, Scott, and I think you made this point clearly, that I took to create the overall architecture, I'm going to do it hierarchically lower and lower down. I could give you more examples if you want to do it, if it's not clear, but essentially each one of those slides has its own sub-motivator and means that tie back to the higher level motivator. So if I talked about safe, if I talked about making things easier, a lower level slide or a lower level document or infographic or, or further along in my conversation would talk about things like um, our search engine is faster, which helps things become easier. So everything ties back up into those key one, two, or three motivators. It's awesome. It's a really, really, really important reminder to folks. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up here in a couple of minutes. So if anybody has more questions, please post them and we'll pick them up. Uh, I do have one, which is, uh, were you involved at all with the with the project at Microsoft called Jedi. I don't know what that project is. Maybe you do. Nope, I don't. And I was not. And I'm, I hope if it was an awesome project, darn it. And if it was a poopy project, whoo. <laughs> that's a, that's a good, that's a good answer. Um, you've, uh, you've talked a little bit about, about um, uh, the strategy and the thinking around it. You've even talked a little bit about, uh, using Microsoft PowerPoint, the how important are the tools versus 
sketching them out correctly on pieces of paper and then worrying about the tools later? Like, is it, is, is, uh, I, I described it as information architecture. It seems like you overweight information architecture and the visual design is the follow on versus leading with the visual design and trying to make up the information architecture on the back end. Right. So mess, message first. Uh, so I, I call it game. What's my goal? Who's my audience? What's my message, motivator and means, and then explain it. I do that on a piece of paper or in my head. Then I sketch it out because sketching it out, I'm not limited to my proficiency in a piece of software. It's just, I'm getting my idea down. Then I go to the tool uh, to help me do it. And by the way, uh, uh, shameless shout out, me and some other MVPs uh, made the tool that I just posted in chat. Uh, definitely check it out. Basically what it does is it turns your text into a graphic. So it helps you turn your text into a graphic. It's a really cool tool. And it's, it, our goal was to give it away, but we couldn't afford to do that because we put too much of our money into it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, definitely sketch it first and then create the graphic or hire someone to create the visual if you don't have the proficiency to do so. Awesome. Well, the, the, uh, the, the sketching it out and getting your thoughts together first and, uh, um, and then moving to the tools or hiring a designer or somebody else is, is really critical. Uh, well, this has been fantastic, Mike. I really appreciate your time. Do you have any parting wisdom for the crowd here? You talked about game what, uh, uh, and the elephant and the rider. You want to summarize for everybody? Well, the number one thing that I can say is elephant first, rider second. Whenever you're communicating with someone in an effort to motivate or persuade them or influence them, it must engage their elephant first or it will fall flat. In fact, if we ignore the elephant, we found that people are more likely to disagree with us if we just jump into facts. That is the number one thing to know. That's a big one. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss? Or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at T. Scott Case and uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.